This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm really grateful to be here. Um, first off, thanks, Kevin. Um, I don't I don't know, and I have a feeling that that you have some idea of how blessed you are. Um, to have a pastor like Kevin, I think you can um, grasp some of that at times. Um, Kevin is um, one of the best pastors I know. He he loves you dearly. He loves this town dearly. And, uh, you know, when, when you go somewhere to plant a church, you can't expect to win a city that you don't love. And he loves this town. He loves this county. And uh, he he's always telling me great things about you. Um, some of you I feel like you, I know individually because of some of the great things and the great stories that that he's told. So I, I think you have an idea of, of how wonderful he is and how great he is. Um, but I, I just want to remind you, and uh, you know, it's not easy planning a church. It's not e- easy being a pastor. Um, it's not easy being a pastor of, of a growing movement. Sometimes it feels like you're scrambling to, to figure out the next step, to scrambling to figure out the next idea. And uh, your pastor has a great relationship with God that helps him do that. So um, don't take that for granted. Uh, honor him, serve him, love him, and uh, continue to move into the future. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to finally meet you. I've heard a lot about you. Um, like he said, I've, I've been in on this thing since the beginning. I've seen the, the very um, beginning stages of, of, of the movement that, that's starting here. Um, I've, I've, I've been at the very, very beginning when Kevin was trying to figure out, is, is this really God or did I have some bad salmon last night? You know, I've, 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 I've been in those moments and I've been in those moments of, is, is this really going to work? Is anybody really going to listen to me? Is, is this really God saying this? And so now I, I, see, I see what you have, and, um, and this is special. Don't take this for granted. Be a part of this. Be on track now, because where this thing is going, you're going you're, you're to want to be on it. You're going to want to be on this train. Great things are coming for the kingdom. Um, I, several months ago, I took a trip to Kentucky. Um, anybody been to Kentucky? Yeah, that's, that's about all that needs to go. Um, <laughs> If, if, you're fr- if you're from Kentucky, I'm, I'm very sorry, um, but there's not a lot there. But I, I was actually in Lexington, and Lexington's kind of, I guess that's like the best that Kentucky has to offer. We were, we were there, we were doing some, some church training stuff, some church leadership stuff. And so normally when we go and do this stuff, it's literally like we, we get to the airport, we go get the rental car, we go to the hotel, we do our thing, and then we leave and come back. It's, it's, it's like a two-day thing for us. And so we, we, we had been on this trip, and it, it, it hadn't exactly gone extremely well, extremely easy, but we were on our way back, and we, um, if you know anything about South Carolina, nothing flies into Columbia, South Carolina directly. You always have to go through Atlanta or Charlotte. We're that small. And so every single flight that we go on has to go through Atlanta. And so this particular day, we were, we were on our, the last leg of our flight from Atlanta back to Columbia. So it's, it's a little plane. It's a little puddle jumper, not a very large plane. And so I get in being an impatient person. I'm like one of the first ones on the plane, even though like I can't affect when this thing's going to leave but I always want to be the first one on. Are y'all like that? It's, it's, it's like, as, as I see them calling, like, like, like the priority club, I'm not priority club, but I, I kind of edge on so that I can be like the first one after the important people, you know? And so even though I can't do anything about making the plane leave early, I'm always one of the first ones on the plane. So I walk down the aisle, I take my seat, and I sit there for, for a good 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to hit like 
the plane jackpot. Nobody is going to sit in this seat beside me. If, 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 you've, if you've flown any amount, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying. I mean, like that, that empty seat beside you is like gold. I mean, that is like plain utopia, right? If, if nobody sits beside you, you're good. And so I watch as people come down the aisle and most of them, all of them are walking right past me or they're stopping before they get to me. You know, you're kind of, people are coming down the aisle and you're kind of, you're just, you're just praying, sit down, sit down, sit down. Don't sit beside me. Don't sit beside me. And it's not because I don't like people. I just don't like sitting close to people. And so about three, four minutes before the cabin door closes, before we're about to get off, this guy gets, walks down the aisle and at this point, I'm like, there's nowhere else to sit on this stinking plane. He's going to sit right beside me. Sure enough, he comes, sits down beside me, and he kind of looks at me, and I look at him, and I can tell that something's not quite right about this guy, but not being able to pick my own seat, he sits down beside me. The plane pushes back, and we're about to take off, and that's when the real fun began. This guy started over the next 30 minutes. It's a 30-minute flight. Over the next 30 minutes, this guy coughed, sneezed, snotted, snorted, and about anything else you could think of while he's sitting beside me. And so what I'm doing is, is I'm kind of doing this number because I've got the window seat. So I'm like crawling through the window trying to avoid because I'm, I'm like part germaphobe, right? I, I, I don't like germs. I, I, I don't like snot. I don't like I don't like sickness. And so I'm trying to avoid this guy because in my mind, he has kind of the plague and I don't want it. But for the next 30 minutes, he looks miserable and he coughs and he spits and he snots. And so the plane lands in Columbia. I get off the plane. I go home. It's kind of late. I get in the bed and the next morning I wake up and guess what? I'm sneezing. I don't feel really well. So for the next couple of days, I had a cold and it was all thanks to Mr. Snotty on the plane that day. Because you see... That's what germs do, right? Germs pass from one person to the other. As you've come in this morning and you're shaking hands with each other, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freak some of y'all out. Some of y'all are breaking out the hand sanitizer as I speak. But as y'all came, came in and you sat down and you shook hands and you've greeted people and you've hugged people like they're your best friend, as you've done that, like germs have passed between each of you. Like, that's what, that's what germs do. As, as I interact with people, as I hug people, as, as I shake hands, as I talk to people, as, as, I, as I sit close to people, germs pass. That's what they do. Like, there's, there's no avoiding that. There's, there's, there, there, there's no way that you can live in a bubble and keep germs from passing from one person to the other. That's what they do. That's also what a godly passion does as well. It passes from one person to the other. When you're passionate about something, whether it be you're passionate about Jesus, whether it be you're passionate about something God's laid on your heart, you're passionate about your job, you're passionate about your kid, you're passionate about your wife, you're passionate about your husband, you're, you're passionate about the one that you want to be your wife or the one that you want to be your husband, you're, you're passionate about finding a wife, you're finding a husband, whatever you're passionate about, passion passes from one person to the other. A good passion does. That's what it's designed to do. A passion, a godly passion spreads. And whether we realize it or not, this morning, all of us that are in here this morning, you've been passionate about something in your life. You were passionate at one point about your career. You were passionate at one point about your spouse. You were passionate at one time about uh, starting a business. At one point, all of us in this room have been passionate. My prayer this morning is that all of us in this room are passionate about Jesus. Because if you've been... 
most of us in, in this room, we've been passionate about Jesus at one point. But it's, it's, it's like now you've gotten, you've, you've gotten to a place where your passion isn't passing anymore. It's not spreading anymore. Maybe it's because you've been let down too many times. Maybe something that you've asked God for so many times and it, he just didn't answer. And so your passion is waning. Maybe so many times you've trusted God with your family member and you've prayed for your family member. You've prayed that your family member would accept Christ and they haven't done it yet. And so you're starting to wonder and your passion isn't there anymore. Maybe you've been hurt so many times by the church that you look at the church and you see a reflection of Jesus and so you're not as passionate about Jesus anymore. Many of us in this room, we've lost our passion. We started out great but we've become passionless people because let's, let's be honest, the world can zap your passion. The world can zap your passion for Jesus. The world can zap your passion for life. And so as we come in this morning, I want us to try to get some of that back. Like I have a lot that, that I want to say, but if, if, you, if you don't get anything else, this is, this, is, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know that regardless of how you feel this morning, regardless of how you woke up, regardless of what somebody told you last night, regardless of what you did last night, regardless of how you got in here this morning, you need to know that Jesus is desperately passionate about you. You need to know that regardless, if, 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 if you've lost passion for him, if you, if you don't have a passion for him anymore, if you've never had a passion for him, maybe you just came in this morning because somebody asked you to, somebody invited you, somebody begged you, somebody bribed you. You need to know that Jesus is passionate, passionately in love with you. His love came down. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to catch it. He wants it to pass to you. This morning, I want to read Mark 11, 15 through 19. This is what it says. Mark is the shortest gospel. It's kind of the, the, the abridged version, kind of the, the spark notes of the gospels. And towards the end of it, this is what it says in Mark 11. It says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. It's become exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Verse 18, when the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. Let's pray and then we're going to dive in. God, we thank you that you are passionately in love with us. God, we thank you that, um, God, that you allow us, Lord, to become passionately in love with you. We do not have a right. We have not earned a privilege to step into your presence. But it is by your son and your son alone that we do that this morning. Speak to us. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage of scripture, we see two different people. We see some money changers, and we see Jesus. Each of, these, each of those two people have different passions. Their passion is in a different spot. And I want us to notice that, number one, the money changers, their passion was impersonal. 
the money changers had been sitting at, this, at the temple for so long. They'd been going through the motions for so long that their passion had become impersonal. You see, this morning, if you come in here this morning and, and you're not passionate about Jesus, part of the reason could be because it's become impersonal. And so what started out as a healthy relationship, what started out as a relationship with a person, what started out months ago, years ago as a relationship with Jesus Christ himself has become a ritualistic thing and it's become impersonal. The money changers were in a spot where they had been coming to the temple for so long. They'd been coming through, they'd been going through a ritual for so long that it had become impersonal to them. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he gets a little angry about that because they had lost sight of what they were really there for. Jesus came to destroy religion. For us here in the South, it's really easy for us to get in the routine of ritualistic worship. It's really easy for us to get in the routine, regardless of our background, because we live in the Bible bed. If you, even if you haven't been in church that long, you still know what you're supposed to do, right? You still kind of have an idea of what it's supposed to be about. And it's so easy for us to get like the money changers and get into a spot where we're just kind of going through the motions, where we just kind of go through the motions Monday through Friday. We just kind of go through the motions on Sunday. And instead of becoming a passionate relationship with Jesus, instead of it becoming a very personal thing, it becomes a very religious thing. And so instead of having a relationship with somebody, we begin to have a practice with something. And that's where the money changers were. When Jesus comes into the temple, he sees that their relationship has become impersonal. That what they're supposed to be doing has become a ritual. Jesus came to destroy religion. Jesus waged war on religion. If you're here this morning and you think you've earned something and you've done the right things and you have a relationship with him, you're wrong because Jesus was an opposite of religion. Religion says don't mess up. Jesus came and he said it's okay if you do. Religion can tire us out. It zaps the energy from us. If, if following Jesus is zapping the energy from you, maybe you've got something wrong. Maybe you're like the money changers and it's become a ritual. Religion zaps the energy. Jesus fills us up. Religion says do more. Jesus says I've already done it. Religion says work for love. Jesus says work from love and because I love you. Religion says go through the motions. Jesus says go at it passionately. The money changers had turned to religion rather than a person. They had turned to religion and forgotten about the fact that the reason that all of that was there was because God wanted a relationship with them. If you don't have passion this morning, if your passion for Christ has waned, maybe it's because you've forgotten the person of Jesus. Their passion was impersonal and their passion was themselves. You see, when we become inner focused, when we become focused on ourselves and it becomes what I want, when it becomes what I want to do, when it becomes about me, we lose passion for Jesus. If, 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 if you think, and if I think, if we think it's about us, then we've fallen so short of all that God wants for us. Because when it becomes about others, when we begin to be focused on other people rather than ourselves, that's when we begin to live in the abundance that Jesus did. As, as Jesus walked, as, as he taught, as he lived, it wasn't about him. Like, it was about him, but he didn't make it about him. You know what I mean? He made it about other people. He made it about the people he served, not so that he could get everything. He just wanted a relationship with people. The money changers, their passion was about themselves. Mark eleven, fifteen says, um, talking about Jesus, says, He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. You see, if, if you look back at what happened in the temple, they weren't 
the money changers and the, and the ones selling doves weren't necessarily doing anything morally wrong. Like they, they weren't doing anything wrong. And it, it wasn't that, that what they were doing is wrong. It was that the way that they were going about it was wrong. You see, Jesus was really ticked off at the money changers because when people paid tax, they had to in this time, they had to pay tax in the currency of the temple. And what these money changers would do is they would, they, they would convert currency from whatever currency the person had to the currency of their temple. But what they were doing is they were doing it at an extremely high exchange rate. And so it wasn't like Jesus was condemning necessarily what they were doing, but he was condemning the way they were doing it because they had forgotten to focus on other people and it had become all about them, how much money they could make. It had become all about them, what they could get out of it. If you've lost your passion for Jesus, go back and think, is it, is it becoming about me? Is it becoming about what I can get? Is it becoming about who can see me? If you've lost your passion for Jesus, maybe it's because it's about you. A passionless life embraces compromise. When you become passionless, you begin to embrace compromise, just like those money changers did. Just like the people selling doves, they, they could get sacrifices outside of the temple. There was no reason for people to be selling the sacrifices inside the temple. But because they had become passionless about God and they had, they had become impersonal with them, they began to focus on themselves and they began to embrace compromise. If you find yourself slowly slipping, and this is going to get a little personal, but if you see yourself slowly slipping from what you know is right, and you're slowly embracing more and more compromise, maybe there's something that you wouldn't have thought of doing six months ago, but all of a sudden it seems in your head like you can get away with it now, you're starting to embrace compromise. And the reason you're doing it, it's not because you, um, you're not as good as you used to be. It's because it's become about you. Your passion isn't about Jesus anymore. Your passion is about you, and it's becoming about what you can get. It's becoming about you getting a feeling. It's becoming about you getting something out of it. Your passion affects your life. Your passion has to be on Jesus, not on yourself. The money changers, their passion was impersonal. Their passion was their self. And their passion was stale. Growing up, any, anybody have an above-ground pool? Y'all have an above-ground pool? Anybody? Y'all have in-ground pools? Anybody have an in-ground pool? Are, are y'all listening to me? D did I get too personal and so you've checked out? Anybody have a pool? Has anybody ever been swimming? <laughs> anybody ever taken a bath? That's close enough. I'll take that. Anybody ever okay, you've, you've, you've taken a bath. A couple of y'all didn't raise your hand. It's okay. I would not want to sit on a plane beside you either. Um, growing up, my parents had an above ground pool and... Um, we, we loved that above-ground pool. It was something that we had pestered them. Me and my brother had pestered them to do for a long time. It was get a pool. We loved to go swimming. And every year, we would beg them to open this pool. And as, as, as a kid, you know, a couple of 80-degree days, we thought it was time to go swimming. And so one particular summer, I, I remember it very well, one particular summer, we had been pestering my, my mom and dad to open our pool. And they wouldn't do it. There was always an excuse, at least it seemed like it to me. There was, there, was, there, was, there was always a reason they couldn't, couldn't get the chemicals right, couldn't yada, 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 didn't have time. And so this particular summer, I had had enough of my parents not opening our above-ground pool. And so one day I was out on the back porch, and I looked at this pool, and it was kind of under a tree. And so it was never really clean. 
but it was clean enough for two kids to go swimming. And so this particular day, it was, it was pretty green. And even as a kid, like I could tell that probably wasn't going to go well. But I really wanted to swim, and I'd, I'd been pestering them for a long time, and they weren't, they weren't doing anything. And so I was out on the back deck one day, and I got an idea. Like, what if there's still water in there? So what if I just went ahead and jumped in? And so as a kid, you know how those thoughts go. You kind of think about it, then you think about it again. And the more you think about it, the more you've decided you're going to do it. And so eventually, I'm standing at the edge of the pool. I look down. And I look up to see if there's anybody around me. I take off some clothes because even then I didn't like for my clothes to get wet. And I go ahead and I make the plunge in. And what happens next was the bad part because, and I don't know why I'm talking about smells so much and like dirty stuff with y'all today, but but I'm sorry. But anyway, I jumped into this pool and what happened next, it wasn't necessarily like the green sliminess that got on me. It was more like the smell. Like, the smell of this water smelled like, like snake dew and like death. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to describe it, but I remember it. I mean, this puddle of water smelled horrible. And, and the problem was, I eventually came to realize, the problem wasn't that there was really snake dew in there necessarily. The problem was that this water hadn't been moving all winter and all spring. And so when I jumped in and moved it, it began to stink. The money changers, and I venture to say that some of us in here today, we've lost our passion and it's become stale. And so the people that we see and the people that are around us, they don't want to be around us anymore because just like water, when we get stale, we're not good to be around. The money changers in this, in, in, in this passage, Jesus was upset because they had turned what was supposed to be a house of prayer. They had become so stale and so stale in their relationship with God that they had turned it into what he called a den of thieves. Many of us, aren't passionate about Jesus because we've been sitting too long. Like we've been sitting in a church service. We've been sitting with our Bible. We've been reading our Bible, but we haven't done anything with it. And so what's happened is just like that pool became stale and smelly, we've become stale and smelly too because we haven't done anything with what we know. That's where the money changers were. And that's what got Jesus upset. Real passion, a real passion for Jesus is alive. So we have, we have two people in this story. We have the money changers, and then we also have Jesus. Jesus, at this point, this is towards the end of his life. He knows that his days are numbered. You, you just, you saw the, the, the sermon intro. He had seven days. He knew that his days were numbered, but he shows up on the scene in this temple scene and he does what he does anyway. Like he knew when he came in and started turning tables over, he knew that people weren't going to like it. He knew that it was going to get the conversation started. But he was so passionate about these people. He was so passionate about his father. He was so passionate about doing what his father wanted him to do that at that moment he didn't care. Because he knew what he had to do. Real passion is like the passion of Jesus. Real passion is alive. Jesus' passion was sanctification. Sanctification is a really big word that means that Jesus wanted people to follow him. That was what Jesus wanted from these people. Jesus really wanted them to become more like him. He wanted them to seek the Father. He wanted the temple to be a holy place. Jesus' passion with you, if you have a relationship with him, he wants you to follow him. 
like we make it too hard. We make it too difficult to follow Jesus, but really all that Jesus wants is he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to do life with him in mind. He wants you, 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 to, you, you to resist what you would want to do so that you can follow him. Jesus has so much more than we give him credit for. He just wants us to follow him. He comes into the temple this day and he's fed up because he knows that people are selling their lives so short of everything that God has for them because they've made it about themselves. They've lost their passion and they've embraced compromise. His passion was his purpose. Jesus's passion was his purpose. Jesus had a very specific thing that he came to the world to do. Jesus, the king of the universe, Jesus, the king of the world, stepped off of his throne, stepped into, onto earth because he had a purpose. And that purpose was his passion. It's not Jesus' desire that any of us should perish. Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him because he wants us to know the Father. Jesus' passion is alive. Mark 11, 18 says, When the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Jesus knew what his actions would do. He knew that it would stir up a mess, but he chose to clean the temple anyway. When Jesus steps into our lives, Jesus knows what he's stepping into. Like each day when he died for you, he knew what he was dying for. He knew that you would still get it wrong. He knew that you would be like the money changers and you begin to focus on yourself and it would become about you, it would become about us. He knew what he was coming into, but he did it anyway. Because his passion is alive. Jesus today, regardless of how you came into this building today, regardless of how you leave, Jesus' passion for you is alive. Because even today, Jesus wants people to become more like him. Jesus wants people to follow him. And Jesus desperately wants a relationship with you. Jesus' passion is alive. So, if you have... If you had a passion for Jesus at one time, but you're not there anymore, you've become like the money changers. How do you change that? Like, how do you go back? Like, how, how it, 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 it sounds good that, that Jesus, Jesus loves me, Jesus is passionate about me, that these money changers, they didn't get it, but, and, and maybe, maybe I've lost my passion, but how do I get it back? Three things I want you to go away with today. Number one is get away. If you've lost your passion, get away. You know, in our culture today, we don't value time away enough with our smartphone, with TV, with Twitter, with Facebook, with Instagram. I'm the world's worst at that stuff. I don't value time away enough. If you've lost your passion for God, a lot of times we lose our passion for something because we haven't spent enough time with it. The more time we spend with something, the more we become like something. Y'all like Mexican food? Anybody like Mexican food? Yes, you do. Amen. I see that hand. Uh, I love Mexican food. When I first met my wife, just a really quick story. But when I first got met my wife, she, I didn't know it at the time, but she didn't like Mexican food. And so, uh, otherwise, I pro- it probably wouldn't have gone so well. Um, but she didn't like Mexican food. And one of the first times that we went out to eat was lunch. It was kind of one of those, you know, me being ca- kind of semi-casual. Hey, what are you doing for lunch? You know, that kind of thing. We're, I, she probably read right through that. But, um, but anyway, so we went, to, we went to get some Mexican food. And so, I, I, me, I'm, I'm a Mexican connoisseur. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't speak Spanish, but I love Mexican food. And so we sit down, they bring the chips, they bring the salsa, 
and we sit down and, and, and they, they bring us our menu and I start looking through the menu and, you know, I'm like, you know, what, what, are, what are you thinking about getting? And uh, she has her menu in her hand and she looks up and she says, I'm thinking about a cheese quesadilla. And so I, I look at her and it's like she might as well have just told me that I was ridiculously ugly or something because the, the look I gave her when I looked up from my menu was probably like she shot me because and, and, and I asked her I said are you really going to get a Mexican grilled cheese because as a, as a Mexican connoisseur a grilled cheese I mean uh, a, a cheese quesadilla I mean that's like on the kids menu like that's on, their only reason it's on the menu is because they feed it to the kids and she said well I don't really know what else to get and so we continued to date. It went well. It went a lot better than it did that day. And I forgave her for that. And so we ended up getting married. And um, really, the only reason she went is because she wanted me. Um, she's, she's not here. Um, and so, but, but it, it got a lot better. And um, it, three days ago, three days ago, we went to, to Mexican for supper. And she did not order a um, cheese quesadilla. Matter of fact, she ordered fajita nachos. And do, you, and do you know why? Do you know why she actually likes Mexican food now and she asked me if we can go to Mexican food? It's because she's been around somebody that really likes Mexican food. The more we're around somebody, the more we become like them. If your passion is waning for Jesus, get away. Get away with Jesus. Jesus modeled that. He got away with the Father. Get away so that you can become more like him. By the way, Jesus does love Mexican food too. Number two, guard against. Y'all have those people in your life that are like passion suckers. Like they literally suck the life out of you. Do y'all have those people? Yeah, any of those people are sitting beside you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Um, we all have those people in our lives that literally suck the passion out of us. Like when, when they're around, they're, they have to be because they work at the cubicle in front of us or they have to be because they work on the line beside us or they have to be because they're coming to the family reunion. And they literally suck the passion out of us. You see, we can't eliminate those people from our lives many times, but what we can is we can guard against those people sucking the passion from us. And the, the, way, we, the way we do that is we put people around us that put passion into us. Several years ago, or actually last year, I ran a, um, a 12K. Like, I had never run before, except unless somebody was chasing me, and that was the only time I had ran before last year. But I had a friend of mine came up to me, and he said, um, he said, Jonathan, there's, there's a 12K here in Orangeburg, and um, in, in five months, will you run it with me? And this guy at the time, I, 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 for some reason, I didn't want to disappoint him, so I said, sure. And so I began training for my 12K, which is 7.5 miles. And I ran for those five months leading up to that race, and I never ran over four miles. Never. So race day, you can imagine how I woke up, right? You wake up, I've never ran a race before. I've only ran four miles ever at one time. Even like the week before, I tried and I ran like 3.5. So I was really concerned, but I woke up. I didn't want to disappoint this guy. And so I went out to the race anyway. And right before the, the gun sounded, I remember I looked at him. I said, dude, if, if I fall or if I fall out, you keep on going, okay? Like, you, you, you keep on. It, 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 this is about you. If, if, if I quit, you just keep going. And so first couple of miles, I didn't really think much about it. Mile three, I didn't think much about it. 
Finally, I look down and I realize that I am on mile six. And at this point, I haven't even thought about being tired. And at the end of that race, I actually ended up beating him and won my age division. Do you know why? It's because I ran that race with somebody that was pushing me forward. Because when we do things together, when we get around people that, that, that push us forward, it restores our passion. Put good people around you. I met um, your small group's pastor, person, earlier today. If you don't have a passion for Jesus, don't think that retreating all the time, although that's really, really important because you have to spend time away with God, but don't think that you can do it all by yourself. Don't think you can restore your passion for Jesus all by yourself. Put people around you that can kind of negate those passion suckers. Number three is get involved. Real passion propels, propels us to do something. Um, do y'all like to grill out? Anybody? Y'all have a grill? Do y'all call it grilling or barbecue in here? Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> do y'all say pecan or pecan? Oh, wow, mixed reviews. Um, that had nothing to do with the story. I just was just curious. Um, have y'all ever had a gas grill where the little igniter thing goes out? Y'all done that? Usually, if, 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 it's, if, it's, if it's not a very good grill, that usually goes out in the first few months, doesn't it? And so what do you have to do? You have to, you have to turn the gas on, and then you have to stick a lighter in the back, and you have to light it yourself, right? Our passion should be kind of like that lighter in the back of the grill. When our passion is lit, or when we want to light our passion, we need to do something. We need to do something with it. We need to get involved. So if, if you're sitting here today and, and, and you're like, you know, I, I spend time with God. I have good people around me. Maybe one of the reasons you're not passionate about Jesus like you used to be is, is because you're not doing anything with it. Get involved. Serve at your church. Serve the people in, that, that are around you. Each day, we have an opportunity to do something with the passion that God gave us. Each day, as you live on mission for him, you have a chance to ignite other people with a passion for Jesus. Do something with your passion. Jesus is too great for those people that are passionate about him to be still. Jesus has done too much. Jesus loves people too much for those that are supposed to be passionate about him not to do anything with it. Get involved. Do something because real passion is alive. If you're here this morning and you have never accepted Christ and you don't understand most of this because you've never been passionate about Jesus in the first place, I want you to know this morning that Jesus is desperately passionate about you. That this whole thing, one of the biggest reasons that we're all here this morning is about you. Because we so desperately want to be people that are passionate about Jesus because we want you to become passionate about Jesus. We want you to understand how much he loves you. We want you to understand how much he cares for you. And one of the reasons that they do all of this, the reason that people are here at crazy early o'clock in the morning setting stuff up is so that you can understand how much Jesus loves you and how passionate he is about you. If you have never accepted him this morning, you have an opportunity to become passionate about somebody that has been passionate about you for a long time. Jesus only had seven days to live because he wanted to die so that you could know him.
This morning, if you've never accepted Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed, just a moment of, of concentration. If this morning, if you would say, I've never accepted Christ, but there's something inside of me that knows that I need it. If you could just say a prayer that goes something like, there's, there's nothing magical about this prayer, it's just a confession. You can pray it out loud if you want to, it doesn't matter. You can pray it silently in your heart. But just, just say, God, I know I've messed it up. But this morning, I realize that you have an answer. This morning, I want to give my life to the one that, that gave me his. So I accept your son. I accept his salvation. My life is no longer my own. I will follow you all the days of my life. Everybody can look up. If you just prayed that prayer inside the worship guide you got on the way in, there's a card there that says, um, guest card, decision card, says something. Would you please indicate on that that you just said that prayer? We just want to thank you. We just want to celebrate that with you. We just want to help you get started following Jesus because it really, it, it, it really can be tough to maintain your passion because the second that you accept him, the second that you see him for the first time, there's, it, 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 it's, 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 you've given your life to him, but it doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. So we want to give you some things that are going to get you started on the right track. For the rest of us this morning, I want us to ask us this question. How would my life change if, like Jesus, I knew I only had seven days to live? How would my passion for Jesus change if I only knew I had seven days to live? Because if I was in that spot where I knew I only had a week to live, I would go back to the things that mattered the most. I would, first of all, make sure I was right with, with God, make sure I had a relationship with Jesus. But then I would want to make sure that the people around me had a relationship with him. Those people that mean the most, I would want to know that they understand that Jesus is passionately in love with them. There's a story in John 12 where we see a picture of a party and Jesus is, is at this party and there's a crowd there and there's a lady named Mary and she comes up and I imagine Jesus is sitting down and she kind of comes from the crowd and I wasn't, obviously wasn't there but I can imagine that, that she comes through the crowd with a certain look on her face. She has a jar of perfume in her hand. It was probably like Burberry or Gucci or something. And she breaks this bottle of perfume. She begins to pour it on the head and on the feet of Jesus. And as she's bowed at the feet of Jesus, somebody in the crowd calls her down and says, what are you doing? That bottle of perfume is worth a year's wages. But she continued to anoint Jesus with this perfume, with something that cost a year's wages because she was passionate about him. Regardless of what the crowd said, she was passionate about following Jesus. She was passionate about making sure that she had given Jesus her very best. My question to us this morning, are we passionate about the same thing? Because he wants you to be. So there's... Two people I want to pray for this morning. 
I wanna pray for the people that just accepted Jesus. And I wanna pray for all of us that we would have a passion for Jesus. That the passion that we had a long time ago would start to come back. That we would be like Mary and we, we would be willing to risk it all even if we looked crazy to the world so that we could be passionate about Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we stand here this morning, God, I have no clue where we're all at. God, I have no clue where we are in our relationship with you. God, but I do know that you are still just as passionate about us as you have ever been. So as we come into your presence right now, God, we're asking for you to restore that passion in us. God, we're asking that maybe for the first time in a long time, God, that we would be people that are willing to risk it all, even if we look stupid to the world. Lord, to show our passion for you. Lord, you so deserve people that are actively involved, people that are actively seeking how they can see you and seeking how they can reach the world. God, we want to be those people. Lord, make us those people. In Jesus' name, amen.